Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of this podcast series by the Program in International Nutrition at Cornell University, or as we like to call it, the PIN Podcast. In this series, trainees in PIN interview leaders and rising stars in the field of international nutrition and global health. Today, our interviewers include myself. My name is Nidhi, and I'm a research aide. And I am Elizabeth, a PhD student. So today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of talking with our very own Dr. Patini Winichagon, who is also a PIN alumna and has an extensive experience in the Thailand community-based nutrition program, supplementation studies, and has collaborated with multiple international partners. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Winichagon. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Hello. It's certainly a pleasure to have a chance to talk with young people who are getting into the field of international nutrition. Yes. Yeah, so thank you so much for coming back to Cornell, although virtually. And to start us off, we would love to hear more about your career trajectory and early experiences in international nutrition. Well, actually, before going to Cornell, or back a little bit to my early part of my education, actually, I was graduated in food technology. And then after a summer training in the factory, I started feeling like this is not my place. So I kind of looking around. And fortunately, that time, there is a research center open for uh, new staff because they were looking, I think, at the point where they are establishing a new institution of nutrition. And so I was uh, recruited with the idea that maybe I can help in the food science laboratory, but I landed in actually on the nutrition biochemistry lab. (laughs) And so that's how I started my nutrition career. But then I was offered to go for a short training supported by WHO because at that time, as I said, it still was about establishing So there were some fundings around. And so with that, then uh, I went to University of Hawaii and with the sort of supervised to study on more like nutrition science. And so my first research actually is animal study and (laughs) have to deal with a hundred rats in my study because at that time, actually, there was a study on the Uh, urinary bladder stone disease in young children. And so as part of that, there were sort of questions here and there that need to be studied using the animal models. So that's how I got into that. And for a second time, once I finished, I told my, my supervisor that I don't think I fit in the animal study. <laughs> and is it possible because I learned a little bit about the extension work while I was studying on my uh, in my master degree although I didn't enroll in any courses in public health and as I say you know uh, young and so new to the new environment and programs I just had no idea what else is around but learning a little bit of that uh, through being there, I felt like, gee, this is something that uh, we need at home. And so I talked to my supervisor again for a second time, whether I can change from laboratory work to do something more in the community. And I happened to hit the jackpot 
because they were saying that, oh, that's good because we are really looking for someone who would like to work in the community. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> and But as I said, because I started in the training, which is more laboratory-based, so I wasn't really trained on the aspect, uh, especially on the methodology and research in, in the community per se. But at that time, I thought, at least if I could contribute to sort of some program in the country, that would already, you know, a great contribution. So I didn't realize how much I could have learned actually being out there without sort of formal training before going out to the field. So I kind of learning through my work and it became clear I enjoyed it. And I, after working, uh, being assigned in the field uh, for a number of studies, I started to feel that my background is inadequate. So I really need to look for something else which would help me to be able to go on better if that is the path that I would like to be taking in my future career. So actually I didn't think so much about career per se. In fact, I have to admit that Maybe that's part of my nature in that I feel like if I do something and I don't really understand, I got frustrated. So I feel like to have a little better training. And so as a result, I was consulting with my boss. And so they agreed that, yes, we need to send you back to school again. And while exploring for uh, which program to attend, because that time we also have good support. If I mentioned the name, the late Professor Nevin Scrimshaw has been a strong supporter for the Institute uh, to build the capacity. So I got interviewed and he was helping, searching for where would be a good school uh, that I would be able to go. So, and then apply, and then it worked out that uh, I got accepted to Cornell. And actually, personally, what I like about it when I learned about the program is that I was told that I could have a lot of sort of freedom in choosing what I like to learn. In a way, not totally freely, but I mean, pretty much so comparing to most of the programs which tend to be structured, including the program at home. Or in fact, at the time when I was going to do my PhD, we were about setting up a PhD program. So there wasn't one that I felt like, you know, I want to study at home. So that's why I was seeking elsewhere. And fortunately, um, this is a kind of program. And I think it's really amazing the range of the exposure in terms of disciplinaries. Cornell and the International Nutrition Program could accommodate. So I think that's really a huge learning curve for me going from, well, I wouldn't say nothing, but, you know, but with a lot of field experience, although I felt um, that it's not adequate in the long run without a proper training. And so it wasn't easy. And, you know, leaving school for quite some time, going back to study. But I try my best. And 
the nice thing also happened is that when I joined the program in the same year and subsequently, there were many international students. So we kind of partly enjoyed uh, uh, friends, uh, uh, the American students, but partly a lot of uh, international friends. And many of uh, our friends actually have already been working. So they are also have the experience. So that is a kind of very rich environment to be with. So in the end, I can say that the exposure at Cornell is tremendous and probably influenced me a lot, whether I know it or I'm conscious about it in helping me to think, to do things and think about things in a much broader sense than I, it would have been if I just stick to learning about nutrition science alone. Hope that answers part of your first few questions. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, it was very interesting to hear about your trajectory from food technology to animal studies and then finally to community and then your PhD degree at Cornell. Now, coming to your present day role as an associate professor of community nutrition and international nutrition at Institute of Nutrition in Mahido University, Thailand. Could you please tell us more about your job and what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? What does your usual day-to-day -day life look like? I don't remember if I informed that I am retired now, but certainly I can tell the life back before my retirement. But certainly as a faculty in the university, of course, we have to be responsible for teaching. And at the institute, it's not like the general faculty, which they have a program from undergraduate level. And so uh, being the institution with the main focus or helping us to carry out mostly research and not too much on the teaching. And that's the reason that we don't have the graduate, undergraduate level at the Institute. So we started off with a large number of staff are actually researchers or hired as researchers. But eventually it was decided since we have a lot of research experience and capacity, it would have been our own limitation without involving a graduate program. So that's how the program started off. And then we all have the teaching responsibility, both in terms of the coursework and supervising the student thesis. And along the line also, since at least even before I left for my PhD work, the Institute have been recognized and received a lot of attention from countries around us of wanting to send personnel to be trained in food science and nutrition or applied food science and nutrition. So we have been kind of having that kind of experience uh, internationally within our sub-region. Very common to have many people from neighboring countries coming for short training because the international graduate program wasn't established and, until much later. So we have a lot of short training and Partly also is because the Thai program in uh, nutrition, particularly on maternal and child nutrition, has been known to be uh, very successful through the community-based program. And so that was the attraction for many people who want to come and learn with us of what have been done and 
I think it was also a very good opportune time in the sense that there were a lot of activity actions going on on the ground. So we were able to kind of combine some of the principal part together with uh, what is on the ground. And so very frequently I have to lead the sort of the training, the ad hoc training program, which we try to tailor to the needs of the group that came to us. And it's quite interesting, almost every group consists of people from different aspects relating to nutrition, like health, agriculture, and so on. So I think it's almost always kind of trying to encourage uh, interdisciplinary in the way that we do things, including one involvement with the University of Queensland to organize a master's degree in community nutrition. And that was also another good experience, actually. The students do the coursework in, in Brisbane and then come into the fieldwork either in Thailand or Malaysia and so so that also another aspect of training that we could offer jointly with University of Queensland. And I think that lasts for longer than 15 years. I don't remember exactly. So in a way, at the Institute, we, we seem to be lucky in the sense that we are not just working and confining ourselves to what's going on in Thailand, but the opportunity to really have visitors trainees and so on. And at times I also, well, this is probably not everyone among the faculty, but the nice thing is that we are given the opportunity to do some short-term consultancy. And I like that idea because I don't mean to be a consultant forever of my profession, because I, I felt like it is something that I would like to have some experience to appreciate what it is like being a consultant and learn from it. But I don't think I want to do it as my, you know, to earn my career that way. And partly because my personal preference is really about the research work. It's not simple, it's not easy. It can be so complex, so frustrating, but in the end, it's almost always rewarding when we can uh, finish the studies, which can be useful and contribute to the field. Yeah. Wow, this is, this is all very impressive. And also, I think a lot of us here at, at Cornell and maybe people listening to the podcast can identify with your trajectory during the PhD at Cornell, coming back to school before, like, you know, after having work experience and then having to go back to tech, take exams and do that type of activity. So thank you for talking about that. And also coming from your super long and you know extensive trajectory and work with different people from so many countries and your own, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about what do you think would be the priorities or key areas to work in in international nutrition for, let's say, the next five years so that the young professionals can consider that. Well, I, I, I think it, it all seems to depend partly on what you see yourself. Like if you come from a country and you wish to go back to work in the country, maybe you can look at the kind of priority problems within your country. 
to guide the work that you would like to be able to address. I started off at the time with undernutrition. Although we certainly focus on children, we can't avoid having the moms along with. So it's in a way, maternal and child nutrition was my priority at the time. And as we go on, the issue of nutrition transition sets in. And so that draws a lot of attention and also funding, actually, for people wanting to do more on the side of chronic disease, the all kinds of non-communicable disease. And actually, to me, at the time, I was arguing that although maternal and child nutrition improved a lot, at least from the country's perspective, I don't believe that we could leave this uh, aspect without continuing with good work because in the end, you know, we need a good foundation to begin with. And very fortunate at the time, it was, I think it hit around, around the turn of the century when people start, you know, talking about the so importance of the early life nutrition. And I think the work by the late Professor David Parker did spark a lot of attention on that. And so I was very pleased that I speak on because some of the colleagues already did depart. So I think it's, it's just hard to really pin down which should be the priority. I think it's probably more important to consider what it, what is around you and which way that you would like to see yourself in. And as I say, you know, if you work, you are from a country or even, you know, you're from any, let's say, low middle income countries and you feel that you like a certain area of nutrition and you like to work in different countries. I think that's that's certainly is also a, a good choice because then you get to learn about, you know, somewhat different settings. Some of them may be same, some of them may be different and so on. So it's really hard to kind of say one is more important than the other. It all depends also on once you get into it a little bit and you know exactly what you like also. Because if you enjoy it, I can tell you, I just go forever. <laughs> you know, you really, there always something on top of, you learn something then all of a sudden something new coming up and so on. And that kind of uh, steps to be taken is also quite interesting to me. Wow. Yeah, no, this is also motivational for all of us still trying to complete our PhD in terms of, you know, keep that spark going and continue working and focusing on, on, on priority areas for ourselves and, and the communities that we belong to. And so going back a little bit to when you were talking about your experience at Cornell as a PhD student, I was wondering if uh, you can tell us a bit about some of the skills that you think you, you got there and you still use in your career today. Critical thinking. I think it's so important, regardless of what you are doing. You don't just take, take things superficially. But on the other hand, I think you have to also take it with understanding because you can be too critical all the time either. That is not life, but 
if I look at it from the academic perspective or research perspective, I think that is very important because then that drives, at least for myself, if I look back, I felt like uh, that helps me to gain the strength to overcome some of the challenges as well, because we want to see through it that what we are doing, you know, come out properly, whether positive or negative, but you just want to make sure that you are on the right path. And I think to me, having a critical thinking when considering your work is quite important. It may not work in other aspects, but this is what I found in terms of work, including teaching students. And one of my major courses during my teaching was a seminar course. And the students kind of see, can see that because I use a lot of critical thinking skills <laughs> and frame them when they do the presentation and so on. I mean, in the end, I just hope that I did not mean to scare them. It certainly is the kind of training that is so important. And you may or may not like it uh, while being a student, but I found it to be very, very important to be trained to, to kind of familiarize yourself with that way of doing things as well. And it helped me to keep up with uh, good quality work, I hope. <laughs> yes, certainly. Critical thinking is very important, not just in grad school, but as you move on to like a more professional. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. now moving on to talking about more professional roles as you move on from grad school, do you have any advice for current students of international nutrition as to how they can network or build collaborations with international partners? Well, I think it all depends if you're kind of uh, into whether it's research or whatever else. I think if you have the interest and want to pursue it as part of as your career, you would sort of not only working on yourself alone, but you also look around and to find if who else are kind of working on similar things. And, and well, I mean, frankly speaking, I have to tell you that my own personality, I'm rather shy, very timid. But I think it is quite somehow as I go on in my work, I got exposed to so many people from different places. And it seemed to help in terms of being, oh, I should mention this. When I went out to the rural community in my early career, I do learn that I changed quite a bit. Because talking to the villagers, I cannot be shy. I cannot be soft-spoken. I have to kind of, and this I learned from my colleagues who were predecessors in the field work. And I like it very much. So I try to learn that uh, approach. And so I, I really have to change myself quite a bit in that sense. But as a result, I found that it helped me to feel more comfortable talking to people, talking to stranger, talking to, I mean, not really stranger, stranger, but I mean, 
people who I, I, I'm not familiar with. And the villagers are very kind always. So you're kind of feeling very good. I mean, you don't feel threatened, you don't feel intimidating and so on. So in coming back to more like, you know, colleagues in your professions, I think you just have to learn how to adapt to that. But little by little, as I say, even being a very shy person, you probably also learn how to interact. And once you start learning, maybe you go and do more with people who you feel very comfortable talking with. And then, you know, moving up a little bit outside your own <laughs> area. And I think that will expand your horizon, both in terms of reaching out as well as broaden your perspectives, learning more about what the other is doing, and at the same time assess whether you have the same interest or you want to go that path. What is also quite important is yourself to demonstrate what good can you do? What is your strength? Bring it out and share that, not to dominate others, but share your strengths. And I think it is very important in a lot of our collaboration. We bring out the strength of each party and we respect that so that when we can combine together, it sounds like something simple. It's not simple, but we do learn of each other that way. And you get somewhere where you could. So it seemed to me, at least I felt working over the years and having uh, several good collaborations and it's not just like one time and then finish no more <laughs> but most of the collaboration we have seem to continue on whether through projects or even in other ways that we work together or we are able to networking with uh, people around it's probably through research it probably is through uh, conference I mean, meetings, conference, and so on. So I think there are a lot of opportunities. You just have to build yourself that ability to, to be able. And some for some, I believe this is very easy because they are so used to doing that. But for some who t tend to be like myself, I, I think you need a little more time to yourself to work on it. I don't know whether people need this kind of advice, but... That's how I kind of moving myself out of my, my uh, what you call that. In, in Thai, we always say, don't stay in the um, coconut shell. Okay, great. <laughs> that, <laughs> the coconut shell. <laughs> well, I think, I think this, is, this is very good advice. I, I feel like a lot of people, including myself, sometimes feel intimidated and, and sort of like, how do I get out of, out of this? Uh, comfort zone in a way yeah. and so I, I, we appreciate it and thank you so much for all your wisdom in in talking to us and, and sharing your your advice we're, we're near the end of our podcast today and we have a tradition which is the last question um and this is what is the worst and the best thing about your career about your you know your work your entire trajectory Ah, uh, the worst thing first. <laughs> I think I work too hard. <laughs> but 
the best thing is something which I never ever imagined in my life that I would have the opportunity to go beyond just being myself, but really to contribute to others, to enjoy learning from, you know, different friends and colleagues and that part. So being in international nutrition for me is sort of something which I couldn't have imagined when I started off. And I did not even know whether I would like it at the beginning, but, you know, maybe uh, fortunately I started with some working environment and then going for the formal education. So I think to me that that probably is the best part that forming myself and throughout my career as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for a very interesting conversation, Dr. Vini Chagon, and I wish this could go on for a bit longer, but we do need to give you some more time before the seminar. So once again, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to learn about everything you're doing and everything you've done so far. Right. Thank you, too. Yeah. And thank you to the listeners of this podcast. Stay tuned for more insightful conversations with amazing researchers in international nutrition and global health. Thank you for listening. Thank you.